I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. When I was a kid, I used to hear about my dad growing up in the 1940s and thought it was insane. He came from another world. He might as well have said that he grew up in the 1890s, like it was just that bizarre to me. Uh, and I've been having the same experience with my kids. My oldest daughter has uh, discovered uh, it during a move my entire CD collection from the late 80s all the way through to the, the early 2000s. And she has a million questions about them. Like, did you just buy these not knowing anything about them? And I said, well, yeah. I mean, I knew that I liked a band, so I go get their album, and then hopefully I like that album. And she'd say, why, why would you do that? And I said, well, it's the only option you had. Or you, maybe if you're lucky, you'd hear them on the radio, but I didn't listen to music that was top 40 music. She says, that's so crazy. I can't imagine, I mean, listening to a whole album just seems so weird. Like, why would you want to listen to all these songs from one person? And I said, I don't know. You like the person. You want to listen to all their stuff. She goes, that's eh, not the way we do it on Spotify. We just uh, listen to one song, and that was good, and then you move on. And I thought, well, that's weird. And then she asked me about the 80s and the 90s and said, the 80s seemed really cool. It must have been great growing up in the 80s. And I said, no. Uh, popular music in the 80s was horrible. Uh, the entire culture of that decade was defined by suburban white people. You can tell, because it's all embarrassing. All the makeup and the big hair and the... For some reason, blouses. Blouses is something that didn't go away. It just started in the 60s and just kept going. And in the 80s, men were walking around wearing blouses. Like, Flock of Seagulls is a perfect example. Uh, I don't know. You could just go on. I mean, look at the members of the Eurythmics. They, they, all the hair is hairsprayed up. And, and then it's like, oh, well, heavy metal comes around. Uh, okay, well, that's a little more... Le, like less embarrassing. It's still embarrassing if you listen to it, you know, from the 80s, uh, like I said in my previous episode. But, um, but no, popular music decided to take that and make it embarrassing with all the makeup and the hair sprayed up big hair and, and then blouses again, except this time they wore leather pants. So I was like, no, I don't think things got uh, less embarrassing till somewhere around the 90s when uh, hip hop got a little more mainstream and then everything was a little bit better. Uh, she said, I, I can't imagine growing up, uh, you know, not having the internet, you know, having to be near a phone in order to get a call from someone, and also having to sit and talk to your friends for hours with your mouth is something that she thought was insane. She said, why would you do that? Why would you want to spend that much time trying to make conversation happen? Just do it in person or you're texting. So anyways, yes, I had it rubbed in my face that, uh, I'm a dinosaur and I come from the 1890s. And, uh, at least I think I got her to agree that the 80s was embarrassing and just kind of dumb. There was some good stuff. She asked me what some of the good popular music from the 80s would be, and all I could come up with was, like, uh, They Might Be Giants was not embarrassing, and they were mainstream. Uh, 
I couldn't really think of anything else. Like REM, kind of? I don't know. Well, anyways, with that, let's dive into our next story. Well, the author for this episode is Alexander Pushkin. Uh, I will not even try to say his middle name. Smell Trisurgievich. Born the 6th of June, 1799, and died the 10th of February, uh, 1837. Now, he was a Russian poet, playwright, and novelist of the Romantic era, who is considered by many the greatest Russian poet and the founder of modern Russian literature. And that's kind of all that's worth reading about him, because just like every other Russian author, at least from this collection of works that I've been reading, uh, they either come from some line of nobility or some very proud and esteemed military family. And it's not the most exciting thing to read. Uh, But, so yeah, with that, let's... Dive into this story. The Queen of Spades by Alexander Pushkin. There was a, a card party at the rooms of Numerov of the how, uh, of the Horse Guards. Okay, the long winter night passed away imperceptibly, and it was five o'clock in the morning before the company sat down to supper. Those who had won. Uh, ate with a good appetite, and uh, the others sat staring absently at their empty place. When the champagne appeared, however, the conversation became more animated, and all took part in it. Uh, and how did you fare, uh, Surin? asked the host. Oh, I lost as usual. I must confess that I am unlucky. I play Mirandol. I always keep cool. I never allow anything to put me out, and yet I always lose. And you did not uh, once allow yourself to be tempted to back to the red. Your firmness astonishes me. But what do you think of uh, Herman? Said one of the guests, pointed to a young engineer. He's never had a card in his hand in his life, and he's uh, never in his life laid a wager. Uh, Yet he sits here till five o'clock in the morning watching our play. Play interests me. They're having alcohol at five in the morning? Play interests me very much, said Herman, but I'm not in the position to uh, sacrifice the necessary in the hope of uh, winning the superfluous. Herman is a German. Oh, well, that's cute. He is an economical. Uh, that is all, observed Tomsky. Tomsky. <laughs> Why am I having such a tough time? But if there is one person that I cannot understand, it is my grandmother, the Countess Anna Fedovna. Uh, how so? inquired the guest. I cannot understand, continued Tomsky, uh, how it is that my grandmother does not punt. Uh, what is there remarkable about an old lady of 80 not punting? What do they mean by punting? Uh, said Naramov. Then you do not know the reason why? Uh, no, really, I haven't the faintest idea. Oh, then listen. About 60 years ago, my grandmother went to Paris. Uh, where she created quite a sensation. Oh, people used to run after her to catch a glimpse of the Muscovite Venus. Richelieu uh, made love to her, gross, and my grandmother maintains that he almost blew out his brains in the consequence of her cruelty. Hmm. 
That's nothing to brag about. And at the time, ladies uh, used to play at Faro. Uh, on one occasion at the court, she lost a very considerable sum to the Duke of Orleans. On returning home, uh, my grandmother removed the patches from her face, took off her hoops, patches from her face, took off her hoops, informed my grandfather of her loss at the gaming table, and ordered him to pay the money. My deceased grandfather, as far as I remember, was a, a sort of house steward to my grandmother. Oh, he dreaded her like fire. But on, uh, <laughs> dreaded her like fire, like the primal fear of fire. But on hearing uh, such a heavy loss, he almost went out of his mind. Ah, he calculated the various sums that she had lost and pointed out to her that in six months uh, she had spent half a million francs. That neither their Moscow nor Saratov estates were in Paris and finally refused to point blank say, uh, pay the debt. My grandmother uh, gave him a box on his ear and slept by herself as a sign of her displeasure. The next day, she sent for her husband, hoping that uh, this domestic punishment had produced an effect upon him. But she found him inflexible. For the first time in her life, she entered into reasonings and explanations with him, uh, thinking to be able to convince him by, by pointing out to him that there are debts and debts, and that there is a great difference uh, between a prince and a coachmaker. But it was all in vain. Uh, my grandfather still remained obdurate, but the matter did not rest there. My grandfather did not know what to do. Grandmother did not know what to do. I don't know what's happening to my eyes. Maybe this is the decline of the show, where I slowly start to go blind and I can't read anymore. My grandmother did not know what to do. She had shortly uh, before become acquainted with a very remarkable man. Ah, you've heard of Count St. German, about whom so many marvelous stories are told. Ah, you, you know that he represented himself as the wandering Jew. Uh-oh. As a discoverer of the elixir of life, of the philosopher's stone, and uh, so forth. Oh, some laughed at him as a charlatan, uh, but Casanova, in his memoirs, says that he was a spy. But, be that as it may, St. Germain, in spite of the mystery surrounding him, was a very fascinating person. Oh, it's uh, much sought after in the best circles of society. Even to this day, uh, my grandmother retains an affectionate uh, recollection of him and becomes quite angry if anyone speaks disrespectfully of him. Oh, my grandmother knew that St. Germain uh, had large sums of money at his disposal. She resolved to have recourse to him, and she wrote a letter to him asking him to come to her uh, without delay. The queer old man immediately waited upon her and found her overwhelmed with grief. Oh, she described to him in the blackest colors of the barbarity of her husband and ended by declaring that her whole hope depended upon his friendship and amiability. Saint Germain reflected. I can advance you uh, the sum you want, said he, uh, but I know that you would not rest easy until you had paid me back, and I should not like to bring fresh troubles ah, upon you, but there is another way of getting out of your difficulty. You can win back your money. But, uh, my dear Count, replied my grandmother, I tell you that I haven't any money left. Oh, money is not necessary, replied St. Germain. Uh, be pleased uh, to listen to me. Then he revealed to her a secret, for which each of us would give a good deal. Oh, the young officers listened with increased attention. Tomsky lit his pipe, uh, puffed away for a moment, and then continued. That same evening, my grandmother went to Versailles, Versailles uh, to the Jeux de la Reine. The Duke of Orleans kept the bank. My grandmother excused herself in an offhand manner uh, for not having yet paid her debt 
uh, by inventing some little story and then began to play against him. She chose three cards and played them, one after the other. And all three won Sankhya, uh, said of a card when it wins or loses in the quickest possible time. And my grandmother recovered every farthing that she had lost. Mere chance, said one of the guests. A tale, observed Herman. Perhaps they were marked cards, uh, said a third, more clear-headed person. And that's me saying that, not the story. And I do not think so, replied Tomsky gravely. What? said Nuramov. You have a grandmother who knows how to hit upon three lucky cards in succession, and you have never yet succeeded in getting the secret of it out of her? That's the deuce of it, replied Tomsky. She had four sons, uh, one of whom was my father. All four were determined gamblers, uh, and yet not one of them did she ever reveal her secret. Although it could not have been a bad thing, either for them or for me, but this is what I heard uh, from my uncle, uh, Count Ivan Ilyevich, Ilyich. All right. And he assured me on his honor uh, that it was true. The late Chaplisky, <laughs> the same who died in poverty after having squandered millions, uh, once lost in his youth about 300,000 rubles to Zorich, uh, if I remember rightly. Uh, he was in despair. My grandmother, who was always very severe uh, about the extravagance, extravagance of young men, uh, took pity, however, upon Chaplisky. And she gave him uh, three cards, telling him to play them one after the other. At the same time, exacting from him a solemn promise that he would never play at cards again as long as he lived. Uh, Shablinsky then went to his uh, victorious opponent, and they began a fresh game. On the first card, uh, he staked 50,000 rubles and won Sankhya. He doubled the stakes, uh, won again, until uh, at last, by pursuing the same tactics, he won back more than he had lost. But it's time to go to bed. Uh, it's a quarter to six already. Yeah, because they've been drinking at five in the morning. And indeed, it was already beginning to dawn. The young men emptied their glasses and took leave of each other. Part two. The old Countess A with a big dash. That's how they used to do this back in the day. I don't know if I've said this on any previous episodes. They would just do the first initial of a person's name with a big dash. Uh, apparently it was all the rage in writing back uh, a long time ago. Or they were just lazy and they didn't want to think up names. Uh, A Dash was seated in her dressing room in front of her looking glass. Three waiting maids stood around her. One held a small pot of rouge, another a box of hairpins, and the third a tall can with bright red ribbons. The Countess had no longer the slightest pretensions to beauty, but she still preserved the habits of her youth, dressed in strict accordance with the fashion of 70 years before, and uh, that must have been weird, especially if you see something like that now, and uh, made as long and as careful a toilet as she would have done 60 years previously. Near the window, an embroidery frame, sat a young lady, her ward. Uh, good morning, Grandmama, said a young officer entering the room. Uh, bonjour, Mademoiselle Lise. Grandmama, I want to ask you something. Uh, what is it, Paul? <laughs> After all these Russian names, it's funny to hear Paul. I want you to let me introduce uh, one of my friends to you and to allow me to bring him to the ball on Friday. Uh, bring him direct to the ball and introduce him to me there. Uh, where were you at B-dashes yesterday? Oh, yes, everything went off very pleasantly, and dancing was kept up until uh, 5 o'clock. How charming! Yelalitskaya was. 
Uh, but, my dear, uh, what is there charming about her, isn't she? It's like her grandmother, the Princess Daria Petrovina. Uh, by the way, she must be very old. The Princess Daria Petrovina. Uh, how do you mean old? cried Tomsky, thoughtlessly. Uh, she died seven years ago. The young lady raised her head and made a sign to the young officer. He then remembered that the old countess was never to be informed of the death of any of her contemporaries, and he bit his lips. But the old countess heard the news with the greatest indifference. Dead, eh, said she, and I did not know it. And we were appointed maids finer at the same time, and when we were presented to the empress, and the countess for the hundredth time related to her grandson, uh, one of her anecdotes. Uh, come, Paul, said she, when she had finished her story, uh, help me to get up. Lizanka, uh, where's my snuff box? And the countess, with her three maids, went behind a screen to finish her toilette. Tomsky was left alone with the young lady. Uh, who's the gentleman you wish to introduce to the countess? asked Letoviska Itavianovlavlavla in a whisper. Naramov, do you know him? No. Is he a soldier or a civilian? Yeah, a soldier. Is he uh, in the engineers? No, in the cavalry. What made you think he was in the engineers? Uh, the young lady smiled but made no reply. Paul, cried the countess from behind the screen, uh, send me some new novel, only don't, pray don't let it be one of the present day style. What do you mean, grandmother? That is a, a novel in which the hero strangles neither his father nor mother, in which there are no drowned bodies. They have a great horror of drowned persons. Oh, so is she reflecting on Russian literature of the time being depressing, <laughs> where everyone dies all the time and stuff? Uh, there's no such novels nowadays. Uh, would you like a, a Russian one? Are there any Russian novels? Yeah, send me one, my dear. Pray send me one. Uh, goodbye, Grandmother. I am in a hurry. Uh, goodbye, Litsyavev, blah, blah, blah. What made you think that Naramov was an engineer? And Tomsky uh, left the boudoir. 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 Wow, I couldn't say that at all. Litsyavev, blah, 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 was left alone. As she laid aside her work and began to look out the window. A few moments afterwards, at a corner house on the other side of the street, a young officer appeared and a deep blush covered her cheeks. And she took up her work again and bent her head down over the frame. At the same moment, the countess returned completely dressed. Order the carriage, Litsavita, Litsavita, said she. We'll go out for a drive. Litsavita arose from the frame and began to arrange her work. What's the matter with you? My child, are you deaf? cried the countess. Order the carriage to be got ready at once. I will do so this moment, replied the young lady, hastening into the anteroom. A servant entered, gave the countess some books uh, from Prince Paul, uh, ex Alexandrovich. Tell him that I am much obliged to him, said the countess. Lisa Vita, uh, Lisa Vita, where are you running to? I'm going to dress. Uh, there's plenty of time, my dear. Sit down here, open the first volume, and read to me aloud. The companion took the book and read a few lines. Louder, yeah, said the countess. What is the matter with you, my child? Have you lost your voice? Oh, wait, give me that footstool. Yeah, a little nearer. Yeah, that'll do. Lisa Vita read uh, two more pages. And the countess yawned. 
You put the book down, said she. Oh, what a lot of nonsense. Send it back to Prince Paul with my thanks. Uh, but where is the carriage? Uh, the carriage is ready, said Lisa Vita, looking out into the street. How is it that you're not dressed, said the countess. I must always wait for you. It's intolerable, my dear. Liza, Lisa, Liza. It's now that's not Vita at the end, it's just Liza. So it's Liza Vita? I don't even know anymore. Hasten to her room. She had not been there two minutes before the countess began to ring with all her might. And the three waiting maids came running in at the one door and the valley at the other. How is it ah, that you cannot hear me when I ring for you, said the countess. Tell Liza Vita, blah, 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 that I am waiting for her. Liza Vita returned. Uh, forget it, I'm sticking with Lisa. Lisa Vita returned uh, with her hat and cloak on. At last you are here, said the countess. But why such an elaborate toilet? Uh, whom do you intend to captivate? What sort of weather is it? Uh, it seems rather windy. Uh, no, your ladyship is very calm, replied the valet. Now you never know what you're talking about. Open the window. Ah, so it is. Windy and bitterly cold. Yeah, unharness the horses, uh, Lisa Vito. We won't be going out. There was no need for you to deck yourself like that. Uh, what a life is mine, thought Lisa Vito. Blah, blah, blah. And in truth, Lisa Vita, blah, 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 was a very unfortunate creature. The bread of this stranger is bitter, says Dante, and his staircase is hard to climb. Yeah, but who can know what that bitterness and dependence is so well as the poor companion of an old lady of quality? The Countess A-Dash had no means of bad heart. Ah, but she was so capricious, like a woman who had been spoilt by the world, as well as being avaricious and egotistical. Like all uh, old people who have seen their best days and whose thoughts are with the past, not the present. She participated in all the vanities of the great world uh, with the balls. She sat in a corner, uh, painted and dressed in old-fashioned style like a, like a deformed but uh, indispensable ornament of the ballroom. All the guests on entering uh, approached her and made a profound bow as if in accordance uh, with a set ceremony. But after that, uh, nobody took any further notice of her. As she received the whole town at her house, and she observed the strictest etiquette. Although she could not uh, no longer recognize the face of the people, her numerous domestics growing uh, fat and old in her antechamber in the servants' hall, did just as they liked, and they vied with each other in robbing the aged countess in the most barefaced manner, Lisa Vita, blah, 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 was the martyr of the household. She made tea and was reproached with using, oh, too much sugar. She read novels aloud to the Countess, and the faults of the author were visited upon her head. She accompanied the Countess in her walks and was held answerable for the weather in the state of the pavement. Uh, salary was attached to the post, uh, but she rarely received it, although she was expected to dress like everybody else, uh, that is to say, uh, like very few indeed, in society, she played the most pitiable role. Oh, everybody knew her. And nobody paid any attention. At balls, she danced only when a partner was wanted, and ladies would only take hold of her arm when it was necessary to lead her out of the room to attend to their dresses. Oh, she was very self-conscious, and she felt her position keenly, and she looked about her with impatience for a deliverer to come to her rescue. But the young men, calculating in their giddiness, 
honored her with but very little attention, although Lizaveta blah 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 was a hundred times prettier than the bare-faced and cold-hearted, marriageable girls around whom they hovered. Many a time did she quietly slink away from the glittering but worrisome drawing room to go uh, and cry in her own little poor room in which she stood a screen in a chest of drawers and a looking glass and a painted bedstead and wear a tallow candle burnt feebly in the copper candlestick. One morning... This is about uh, two days after the evening party described at the beginning of the story, and a week previous to the scene at which we had just uh, assisted, Lisa Vita, blah, 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 was seated near the window at her embroidery frame. When, happening to look out on the street, she caught sight of a young engineer officer standing motionless with his eyes fixed upon her window. Oh, she lowered her head and went on again with her work. About five minutes afterwards, she looked out again, and the young officer was still standing in the same place, not being in the habit of coquetting. Uh, With passing officers, she did not continue to gaze out into the street, but went on sewing for a couple hours without raising her head. Dinner was announced, and she rose up and began to put her embroidery away. But glancing casually out of the window, she perceived the officer again. Uh, This seemed to her uh, very strange. Yeah, kind of stalkerish, not flattering at all. After dinner, she went to the window with a certain feeling of uneasiness. Yeah, but the officer was no longer there, thank God, and she thought no more about him. A couple days afterwards, just as she was stepping into the carriage, at the counter, she saw him again. He was standing close behind the door, with his face half concealed by his fur collar, but his dark eyes sparkled beneath his cap. Lisa Vita felt alarmed. Though she knew not why, and she trembled as she seated herself in the carriage. Uh, returning home, as uh, she hastened to the window, uh, the officer was standing in his accustomed place with his eyes fixed upon her. Oh, she drew back, a prey to curiosity, and agitated by the feeling uh, which was quite new uh, to her. From that time forward, not a day passed without the young officer uh, making his appearance under the window at the customary hour. And between him and her was established a sort of a mute acquaintance. Sitting in her place of work, she used to feel his approach, and raising her head, she could look at him longer and longer. Each day, uh, the young man seemed to be very grateful to her. She saw with the sharp eye of youth how a sudden flush uh, covered his pale cheeks each time that their glances met. After about a week, she commenced to, hmm, smile at him. When Tomsky asked permission of his grandmother, the countess, to present one of his friends to her, the young girl's heart beat violently. But hearing that Nuremov was not an engineer, she regretted uh, that by her thoughtless question she had betrayed her secret to the volatile Tomsky. Herman was the son of a German, Herman the German, who had become a naturalized Russian and from whom he had inherited a small capital. Being firmly convinced of the necessity of preserving his independence, Herman did not touch his private income, but lived on his pay without allowing himself the slightest luxury. Moreover, he was reserved and ambitious, and his companions really had the opportunity of making merry at the expense of his extreme parsonomy, and had the strong passions and ardent imagination, but his firmness of disposition preserved him from the ordinary errors of young men. Thus, Though a gamester at heart, he never touched a card, ever he considered this position not to allow him, as he said, to risk the necessity in the hope of winning the superfluous. Yet he would sit for nights together at the card table and follow with feverish anxiety the different turns of the game. (sighs) The story of the three cards had produced a powerful impression upon his imagination. 
And all night long, he could think of nothing else. If, he thought to himself, the following evening as he walked along the streets of St. Petersburg, if the old countess would but reveal her secrets to me, if she would only tell me the names of the three winning cards, why, should I not try my fortune? I must get introduced to her and win her favor, become her, mm, lover. But all that will take time, and she is 87 years old, and she might be dead in a week, in a couple of days even. Uh, but the story itself, can it really be true? Oh, no. Economy, temperance, and industry. Those are my three winning cards. Uh, by means of them, I shall be able to double my capital, uh, increase it sevenfold, and procure for myself ease and independence. Musing in this manner, he walked on until he found himself in one of the principal streets of St. Petersburg, in front of a house of uh, antiquated architecture. The street was blocked with uh, equipages, Carriages, one after another, drew up in front of the brilliantly illuminated doorway. At one moment, there stepped out onto the pavement the well-shaped little foot of some young beauty. At another, the heavy boot of a cavalry officer. And then the silk stockings and shoes of a member of the diplomatic world. Oh, mm. Furs and cloaks passed in rapid succession before the gigantic porter at the entrance. Herman stopped. Uh, whose house is this? He asked the watchman at the corner. Uh, the Countess A. Dashes, replied the watchman. Herman started. The strange story of the three cards again presented itself to his imagination. He began walking up and down before the house, thinking of its owner. Oh, and a strange secret. Returning late to his modest lodging, he could not go to sleep for a long time, and when at last he did doze off, he could dream of nothing. The cards... Oh, green tables, and piles of banknotes, and heaps of ducats. And he played one card after the other. Oh, ducats. Ah, well, whatever. He played one card after the other, winning uninterruptedly, and then he gathered up the gold and filled his pockets with the notes. And when he woke up late the next morning, he sighed over the loss of his imaginary wealth. And then, sallying out into the town, he found himself once more in front of the countess's residence, some unknown powers seemed to have attracted him thither. Oh, he stopped and looked up at the windows. And one of these, I saw the head of a luxuriant black hair, which was bent down, probably over some book uh, or embroidery frame. And the head was raised, and Herman saw a fresh complexion and a pair of dark eyes. That moment decided his fate. Part 3 Lizavita. Blah, blah, blah. It scarcely taken off her hat and cloak. When the countess sent for her again and ordered her to get the carriage ready. Oh, the vehicle drew up before the door and they prepared to take their seats. Just at that moment, when the two footmen were assisting the old lady uh, to enter the carriage, Lizavita saw her engineer standing close beside the wheel and he grasped her hand. Alarm caused her to lose her presence of mind and the young man disappeared. Uh, but not before he had left a letter between her fingers. Oh, she concealed it in her glove. And the, during the whole of the drive, was she neither saw nor heard anything. It was a custom of the countess, uh, went out for an airing in the carriage, uh, to be consistently asked those questions as, uh, Who's that person? Uh, met us just now. Uh, what is the name of this bridge? Uh, what's written on that signboard? And on this occasion, however, Lisa Vita returned with vague and absurd answers. Uh, the countess began to get angry with her. Uh, what's the matter with you, my dear? She exclaimed. Have you taken leave of your senses? Uh, or what is it? 
Do you not hear me or understand what I say? Yeah, I have be thanked. I am still in my right mind and can speak plainly enough. Lisa Vita, blah, 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 did not hear her. And on returning home, she ran to her room and drew the letter out of her glove. It was not sealed. Lisa Vita read it. The letter contained a declaration of uh, love, and it was tender and respectful. It copied word for word from a German novel, but Lisa Vita did not know anything of the German language, and she was quite delighted. For all that, the letter caused her to feel exceedingly uneasy, and for the first time in her life, she was entering into secret and confidential relations with the young man. His boldness alarmed her. She reproached herself uh, for her imprudent behavior and knew not what to do. She... Should she cease to sit at the window and, by assuming an appearance of indifference towards him, put a check upon the young officer's desire to further acquaintance with her, should she send the letter back to him, or should she answer him in a cold and decided manner? Ah, there was nobody to whom she could turn in her perplexity, for she had neither female friend nor adviser. At length, she resolved to reply to him. She sat down at her little writing table and took pen to paper, and she began to think, Several times she began her letter, and then tore it up. And by the way she had expressed herself, it eh, seemed uh, either too inviting, or too cold, or too decisive. And at last she succeeded in writing a few lines in which she felt satisfied. I am convinced, she wrote, uh, that your intentions are honorable, and that you do not wish to offend me by any imprudent behavior. But our acquaintance must not begin in such a manner. I return you your letter, and I hope that I shall never have any cause to complain of this undeserved slight. The next day, as soon as Herman made his appearance, Lisa Vita rose from her embroidery and went to the drawing room and opened the ventilator and threw the letter into the street. Trusting that the young officer would have the perception to pick it up, Herman uh, hastened forward, uh, picked it up, and then repaired to a confectioner's shop. Breaking the seal of the envelope, he found inside in his own letter, uh, Lisa Vita's reply. He had expected this, uh, and he, he returned home, his mind deeply occupied with his, with his intrigue. Three days afterwards, a bright-eyed young girl from a milliner's establishment brought Lisa Vita a letter. Lisa Vita opened it with great uneasiness, fearing that it was a demand for money. When suddenly she recognized Herman's handwriting, "'You have made a mistake, my dear,' said he, she. "'This letter is not for me.' "'Oh, yes, it is for you,' replied the girl, smiling very knowingly. "'Have you, have you the goodness to read it?' Lisa Vita glanced at the letter. Herman requested an interview. "'It cannot be,' she cried, alarmed at the audacious request. "'And the manner in which it was made, this letter is certainly not for me.' Oh, and she tore it into fragments. "'If the letter is not for you,' Why are you torn it up? said the girl. I should have given it back to the person who sent it. It'd be good enough, my dear, said Lisa Vita, disconcerting by her remark, and not to bring me any more letters. Yeah, for the future. And tell the person who sent it to you that you ought to be ashamed. But Herman was not the man to be thus put off. Every day Lisa Vita received from him a letter, sent now in this way, now in that, and they were no longer translated from the German. Herman wrote them under the inspiration of passion and spoke in his own language, and, and they bore full testimony to the inflexibility of his desire and the disordered condition of his uncontrollable imagination. Yeah, this is just harassment. I mean, does this work? If I did this to somebody, would I eventually wind up dating them? I wouldn't think so. I think they would just get terrified. These Vita no longer thought of 
Sending them back to him, she became intoxicated with them and began to reply to them. And little by little, her answers became longer and more affectionate. At last, she threw out of the window to him the following letter. This evening, there is going to be a ball at the embassy. Oh, the countess will be there, and we shall remain there until two o'clock. You now have an opportunity of seeing me alone. As soon as the countess is gone, eh, the servants will probably go out, and there will be nobody left eh, but the Swiss. But we usually, he goes to sleep in his lodge, I come out at half past eleven, walk straight upstairs, and if you meet anybody in the anteroom, ask if the countess is at home. This is very not smart <laughs> to let a potential rapist slash murderer whatever, come in through the back and help him sneak in without anyone seeing him. You'll be told no, in which case there'll be nothing left for you to do but to go away again. But it is most probable that you will meet nobody. The maid servants will all be together in one room. On leaving the anteroom, uh, turn to the left. Uh, walk straight on until you reach the countess's bedroom. In the bedroom, behind a screen, you will find two doors. Uh, the one on the right leads to a cabinet, which the countess never enters. The one on the left... Uh, leads to a corridor, at the end of which a little winding staircase leads to my room. Man, that's confusing. Ooh, Herman trembled like a tiger as he waited for the appointed time to arrive. At ten o'clock in the evening, he was already in front of the Countess's house. The weather was terrible. Oh, the wind blew uh, with great violence. And the sleety snow uh, fell in large flakes. Oh, the lamps emitted a feeble light, and the streets were deserted. From time to time, a sledge, drawn by a sorry-looking hack, passed by uh, on the lookout for a belated passenger. Herman was enveloped in a thick overcoat and felt neither wind nor snow. Well, well, good for him. At last, the countess's carriage drew up, and Herman saw two footmen carried out in their arms and bent form of the old lady, wrapped in sable fur, and immediately behind her, clad in a warm mantle and... With her head ornamented with a wreath of fresh flowers, followed the Savita. The door was closed. Now the carriage rolled away heavily through the yielding snow. The porter shut the street door, and the windows became dark. Herman began walking up and down near the deserted house. At length, he stopped under a lamp and glanced at his watch. It was twenty minutes past eleven. He remained standing under the lamp. His eyes fixed upon the watch, impatiently waiting for the remaining minutes to pass. At half past eleven precisely, Herman descended the steps of the house and made his way into the brightly illuminated vestibule. The porter was not there, and Herman hastily ascended the staircase, opened the door to the anteroom, saw a footman sitting asleep in an antique chair by the side of the lamp. Uh, with a light, firm step, Herman passed by him. The drawing room, the dining room were in darkness, but a feeble reflection penetrated thither from the lamp in the anteroom. Herman reached the Countess's bedroom. Uh, before a shrine, which was full of old images, a golden lamp was burning. Faded stuffed chairs and divans with soft cushions stood in melancholy symmetry around the room, the walls of which were hung with uh, china silk. On one side of the room hung uh, two portraits, painted in Paris by Madame Lebron. Uh, one of these represented a stout, red-faced man of about 40 years of age in a bright green uniform. Uh, and with a star uh, upon his breast. The other, a beautiful young woman mm, with aquiline nose, forehead curls, and a rose in her powdered hair. In the corners stood porcelain shepherds uh, uh, and shepherdesses, uh, dining room clocks uh, from the workshop of the celebrated Lafoy, 
bandboxes, uh, roulettes, fans, the various playthings for the amusement of ladies uh, were in vogue at the end of the last century. When Montgolfer's balloons and Mesmer's magnetism were the rage. Herman stepped back behind the screen. At the back of it stood a little iron bedstead. On the right was the door, uh, which led to the cabinet. And on the left, uh, the other, which led to the corridor. He opened the ladder, and he saw the little winding staircase, which led to the room of the poor companion. Uh, But he retraced his steps and entered the dark cabinet. The time passed slowly, uh, always still. The clock in the drawing room stuck twelve, and the strokes echoed through the room one after another, and everything was quiet again. Oh, Herman stood leaning against the cold stove. He was calm, and his heart beat regularly, uh, like that of a man resolved from a dangerous but inevitable undertaking. Yeah, one o'clock in the morning struck, and then two. Then he heard the distant noise of carriage wheels. An involuntary agitation took possession of him. The carriage drew near and stopped. He heard the sound of the carriage steps uh, being let down, and all was bustle within the house. Oh, the servants were running hither and thither. Feels like that's been said more than once so far in this book. There was a confusion of voices, and the rooms were lit up. Uh, Three antiquated chambermaids entered the bedroom, and they were shortly afterward followed by the countess, who, uh, more dead than alive, sank into a voltaire armchair. Now, Herman peeped through through a chink. Lisa Vita, blah, 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 passed close by him, and he heard her hurried steps as she hastened up the little spiral staircase. For a moment, his heart was assailed by something like a prickling of conscience, but the emotion was only transitory, and his heart became petrified as before. The countess uh, began to undress uh, before a looking glass. Uh, Her rose-bedecked cap was taken off, uh, and then her powdered wig was removed uh, from off her white and closely cut hair. Uh, Hairpins fell in showers around her. Oh, boy. And her yellow satin dress, brocaded with silver, uh, fell down at her swollen feet. Herman was a witness of the repugnant mysteries of her toilette, and at last the countess was in her nightcap and dressing gown, thank God. And in this costume, more suitable to her age, she appeared less hideous uh, and deformed. Like all old people, uh, in general, the countess suffered from sleeplessness. Having undressed, she seated herself at the window of the Voltaire armchair and dismissed her maids. Oh, the candles were taken away, and once more the room was left with only one lamp burning in it. The countess sat there looking quite yellow, mumbling with her Ugh, flaccid lips, swaying to and fro. Her dull eyes expressed complete vacancy of mind, and looking at her, one would have thought that the rocking of her body was not a voluntary action of her own, but produced by the action of some concealed uh, galvanic mechanism. Suddenly the death-like face assumed an explicit expression. Uh, the lips ceased to tremble. The eyes became animated. Before the countess stood, an unknown man... Do not be alarmed, uh, for heaven's sake, do not be alarmed, said he in a low but distinct voice. I have no intention of doing you any harm. I have only come to ask a favor of you. Ah, The old woman looked at him in silence, as if she had not heard what he said. Uh, Herman thought that uh, she was deaf. Bending down toward her ear, he repeated what he said, and the aged countess remained silent as before. Uh, You can ensure the happiness of my life, continued Herman, and it will cost you nothing. I know that you can name three cards in order. Herman stopped. The countess appeared now to understand what he wanted. 
Oh, she seemed as if seeking for words to reply. Uh, it was a joke, she replied at last. I assure you, it was only a joke. Oh, there's no joking about the matter, replied Herman angrily. I remember Shablisky, for whom you helped win. Well, the countess became visibly uneasy. Her features expressed strong emotion, but they quickly resumed her former mobility. Uh, can you not name me these three winning cards? Continued Herman. Oh, the countess remained silent. And Herman continued, For whom are you preserving your secret? For your grandsons? Ah, they are rich enough without it. They do not know the worth of money. Your cards would be of no use to a spendthrift. He who cannot preserve his paternal inheritance will die in want. Even though he had a demon at his service, I am not a man of that sort. I know the value of money. Your three cards will not be thrown away upon me. Come! He paused, and tremblingly awaited her reply. The countess remained silent. Herman fell upon his knees. "'If your heart has ever known the feeling of love,' said he, "'if you eh, remember its rapture, "'if you have ever smiled at the cry of your newborn child, "'if any human feeling has ever entered into your breast, "'I entreat you by the feelings of a wife, a, a lover, a mother,' And by all that is most sacred in life, not to reject my prayer, reveal to me, yeah, your secret, of what is it to you. Uh, may it be connected with some terrible sin, with the loss of eternal salvation. This is a very wordy. He's doing all the talking here. He's not going to win her over. Uh, with some bargain of the devil, uh, reflect. You are old. You are not long to live. I am ready to take uh, your sins upon my soul. Only reveal to me your secret. Remember that the happiness of a man is in your hands. Uh, that not only I, uh, but my children and my grandchildren will bless your memory and reverence you as a saint. The old countess uh, answered not a word. Herman rose to his feet. Ah, you old hag, he exclaimed, grinding his teeth. Then I will make you answer. And with these words, he drew a pistol from his pocket. Oh, at the sight of the pistol, the countess for a second time exhibited strong emotion. Uh, she shook her head and raised her hands as if to protect herself from the shot. Uh, then she fell backwards uh, and remained motionless. Come, and into this childish nonsense, said Herman, taking hold of her hand. I ask you for the last time, will you tell me the names of your three cards, or will you not? The Countess uh, made no reply. Uh, Herman perceived that she was dead. Uh, part four. Lisa Vita blah 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 was sitting in her room, uh, still in her ball dress, lost in deep thought. On returning home, uh, she had hastily dismissed the chambermaid, uh, who very reluctantly came forward to assist her, saying that she would undress herself, and with a trembling heart had gone up to her own room, expecting to find Herman there, uh, but yet hoping uh, not to find him. At first glance, she conceived herself, or convinced herself, that the, he was not there, and then she thanked her fate for having prevented him from keeping the appointment. She sat down without undressing, and began to recall to mind all the circumstances which in no short a time had carried her so far. It was not three weeks since the time that she first saw the young officer in the window, and yet she was already in correspondence with him, and he had succeeded in inducing her to grant him a nocturnal interview, exclamation point. She knew his name only through his having written it at the bottom of some of his letters. She had never spoken to him and had never heard his voice and had never heard him spoken of until that evening. But, strange to say, that was very evening at this ball, Tomsky, being piqued with the young princess Pauline N-, 
who, contrary to her casual custom, did not flirt with him, wished to revenge himself by assuming an air of indifference. He therefore engaged Lisa Vita, blah, 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 and danced an endless Makuzra, Mazukura with her. During the whole of the time, he kept teasing her about her partiality for engineer officers. Uh, he assured her that he knew far more than she imagined, and some of his jests were so happily aimed that Lisa Vita thought several times that her secret uh, was known to him. From whom have you learned all this? she asked, smiling. Ah, uh, from a friend. Of a person very well known to you, replied Tomsky, from a very distinguished man. Eh, and who is this distinguished man? Oh, his name is Herman, Lisa Vita made no reply, but her hands and feet lost all sense of feeling. Now, this Herman, continued Tomsky, is a man of romantic personality. He has the profile uh, of a Napoleon and the soul of a Metastopheles. I believe that he has at least three crimes on his conscience. Uh, how pale you become. Uh, I have a headache. But what did this Herman, or, or whatever his name is, uh, tell you? Herman is very much dissatisfied with his friend. He says that in his place he would act very differently. I even think that Herman himself has designs upon you. At least, he listens very attentively to all that his friend has to say about you. And uh, where is he, uh, where has he seen me? Oh, um, in church, perhaps, or on the parade. Uh, God alone knows where. It may have been in your room <laughs> while you were asleep. Or, there's nothing. It is that he... Three ladies approaching him with the question, a blue ooh, regret? That's probably French. Interrupted the conversation, which he had become so tantalizingly interested to Levita. The lady chosen by Tomsky was the Princess Pauline herself. She succeeded in uh, effecting a reconciliation with him during the numerous turns of the dance, after which uh, he conducted her to her chair. On returning to his place, Tomsky thought no more either of Herman or Lizavita. He longed to renew the interrupted conversation, but the mazurka came to an end, and shortly afterwards the old countess took her departure. Tomsky's words were nothing more than the customary small talk of the dance. But they sank deep into her soul of the young dreamer. The portrait, sketched by Tomsky, coincided with the picture that she had formed within her own mind. And thanks to the latest romances, the ordinary countenance of her admirer became invested with attributes capable of alarming her and fascinating her imagination at the same time. She was now sitting uh, with her bare arms crossed and with her head, uh, still adorned with flowers, sunk upon her uncovered bosom. Suddenly the door opened and Herman entered. She shuddered. Uh, where were you? she asked in a terrified whisper. Uh, in the old countess's bedroom, replied Herman. I have just left her. Uh, the countess is dead. Uh, my God, what did you say? Uh, I, and I am afraid, added Herman, that I am uh, mm, the cause of her death. Lizavita looked at him, and Tomsky's words found an echo in her soul. This man has at least three crimes upon his conscience. Man, if I... Uh, had more energy, I'd make that like a, I'd use reverb on that part. But I'm not going to start getting into sound effects on this podcast. Herman sat down by the window near her and related all that had happened. Lisavita listened to him in terror. So all those passionate letters, all those ardent desires, this bold, obstinate pursuit, all this was not love. 
Money. That's what this was, uh, was about. So yearned for. She could not satisfy this desire and make him happy. The poor girl had been nothing but the blind tool of a robber, of the murderer of her aged benefactress. She wept bitter tears of agonized repentance. Herman gazed at her in silence. His heart, too, was prey to violent emotion, but neither the tears nor the poor girl nor the wonderful charm of her beauty, uh, enhanced by her grief, uh, could produce any impression upon his heart and soul. He felt no pricking of conscience at the thought of a dead old woman. One thing only grieved him, the irreparable loss of the secret from which he had expected to obtain great wealth. Hey, you're a monster, cried Lucifina at last. I did not wish for a death, replied Herman, and my pistol wasn't loaded. Both remained silent. The day began to dawn. Lisa Vita extinguished her candle. A pale light illuminated her room. She wiped her tear-stained eyes and raised them toward Herman. He was sitting yeah, near the window with his arms crossed and with a fierce frown upon his forehead. In this attitude, he bore a striking resemblance to the portrait of Napoleon. This resemblance struck Lisa Vita even. Uh, how shall I get you out of the house? She said aloud. I thought of uh, conducting you down the secret staircase, but in that case it would be necessary to go through the Countess's bedroom, and uh, I'm afraid. Uh, tell me how to find this secret staircase, and I will go alone. Lisa Vita rose, uh, took from her drawer a key, handed it to Herman, and gave him the necessary instructions. Herman pressed her cold, limp hand, uh, kissed her bowed head, and left the room. He descended the winding staircase and once more entered the Countess's bedroom. The dead old lady sat as if petrified. Her face expressed profound tranquility. Uh, Herman stopped before her and gazed long and earnestly at her, as if he wished to convince himself of the terrible reality. At last he entered the cabinet, uh, felt behind the tapestry for the door, uh, and then began to descend the dark staircase filled with strange emotions. Down this very staircase, thought he, perhaps coming from the very same room, at the very same hour, sixty years ago, uh, there may have glided in an embroidered coat uh, with hair dressed a la sur royale, and uh, pressing to his heart his three-cornered hat, some young gallant who has long been moldering in the grave. But the heart of this aged mistress has only today ceased to beat. At the bottom of the staircase, Herman found a door, which he opened with a key, and then traversed the corridor which conducted him onto the street. Three days after the fatal night, at nine o'clock in the morning, Herman repaired to the Covenant of Dash. They didn't even put a first letter on that one. It's just Dash. Where the last honors would be paid at the immortal remains of the old countess. Although feeling no remorse, he could not altogether stifle the voice of conscience, uh, which is said to him, uh, You're the murderer uh, of the old woman. In spite of this entertaining very little religious belief, he was exceedingly superstitious, and believing that the dead countess might exercise an evil influence on his life, he resolved to be present at her uh, obsequies. Obs obsequies. I'm not going to try. I don't know why I'm fighting with that one. Why is that one the one I'm having such a tough time with? In order to employ her pardon. Well, the church's fall. It was with uh, difficulty that Herman made his way through the crowd of people. The coffin was placed upon a rich cataflac beneath a velvet baldachin. 
Uh, the deceased countess lay within it, with her hands crossed uh, upon her breast, uh, with a lace cap on her head and dressed in a white satin robe. All around the catafalque stood the members of her household and the servants and black captains, with the immoral uh, ribbons upon their shoulders and candles in their hands, the relatives, uh, children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren in deep mourning. Nobody wept. Uh, tears could have been un affection. Uh, the countess was so old that her death could have been surprised by nobody, and her relatives had long looked upon her as a being out of this world. A famous preacher pronounced the funeral sermon in simple and touching words. He described the peaceful passing away of the righteous, who had passed long years in calm preparation for a Christian end. Uh, uh, the angel of death uh, founder, said the orator, uh, engaged in uh, pious meditation uh -huh, and waiting for the midnight bridegroom. The service concluded amidst profound silence. Uh, the relatives went forward first to take farewell of the corpse, uh, then followed the numerous guests who had come to render the last homage to her for so many years had been the participator of their frivolous amusements. After these followed the members of the countess's household. Uh, the last of these was an old woman of the same age uh, as the deceased, uh, two young women led her forward by the hand, and she had not strength enough to bow down to the ground. She merely uh, shed a few tears uh, and kissed the cold hand ugh, of her mistress. Herman had now resolved to approach the coffin. He knelt down on the cold stones and remained in that position for some minutes. At last he arose, as pale as a deceased countess herself, and ascended the steps of the uh, catafalque and bent over the corpse. At that moment... It seemed to him that the dead woman darted a mocking look at him and winked with one eye. Uh, Herman started back, uh, took a false step, and fell to the ground. Several persons hurried forward and raised him up, and at the same moment, Lisvita, blah, 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 was born fainting under the porch of the church. This episode disturbed for some minutes the solemnity and the gloomy ceremony. Uh, among the congregation arose a deep murmur, and a tall, thin chamberlain, a, a near relative of the deceased, whispered in the ear of an Englishman who was standing near him uh, that the young officer was a natural son of the countess, uh, to which the Englishman re coldly replied, Oh! During the whole of that day, Herman uh, was strangely excited, repairing to an out-of-the-way restaurant to dine. He drank a great deal of wine, uh, contrary to his usual custom, in the hope of deadening his inward agitation. But the wine only served to excite his imagination still more. On returning home, he threw himself upon his bed without ugh, undressing mm, and fell into a deep sleep. When he woke up, ah, it was already night, and the moon was shining into the room. He looked at his watch. It was a quarter to three. Sleep had left him. He sat down upon his bed and thought of the funeral of the old countess. And at that moment, somebody in the street looked in his window and immediately uh, passed on again. Herman paid no attention to the incident. A few moments afterwards, he heard the door of his ante room open. Herman thought it was uh, his orderly, uh, drunk as usual, returning from some nocturnal expedition. But presently, he heard footsteps that were unknown to him. Somebody was walking softly over the floor in slippers. The door opened, and a woman dressed in white entered the room. Herman mistook her for his old nurse. It wondered uh, what could bring her there at this hour of the night. But the white woman glided rapidly across the room and stood before him, and Herman recognized the Countess. 
I have come to you against my wish, she said in a firm voice, but I have been ordered to grant your request. Three, uh, seven, ace. We'll win you if you play in succession. But only on these conditions, uh, that you do not play more than one card in 24 hours, and that you never play again during the rest of your life. I forgive you my death on condition that you marry my companion, uh, Lisa Vita, blah, blah, blah. With these words, she turned around, uh, very quietly walked with a shuffling gait toward the door and disappeared. Herman heard the street door open and shut, and again he saw uh, someone look in at him through the window. It kind of sucked with all that drama that he didn't pay attention, didn't remember what card she said. For a long time, Herman could not recover himself. Then he rose and entered the next room. His orderly was lying asleep on the floor, and he had much difficulty waking him. The orderly uh, was drunk as usual, and no information could be obtained from him. The street door was locked, and Herman returned to his room, lit his candle, and wrote down all the details of his vision. Part 6 Two fixed ideas can no more exist together in the moral world than two bodies can occupy one in the same place in the physical world. Three, seven, ace. Soon drove out of Herman's mind the thought of the dead countess. Three, seven, ace were perpetually running through his mind and continually being repeated by his lips. Ah, if he saw a young girl, he would say, Oh, how slender she is. Ah, quite like the Three of Hearts. That's weird. If anybody asked, uh, What is the time? Uh, he replied, Five minutes to seven. Uh, every stout man uh, that uh, he uh, saw reminded him of the ace. Uh, three, seven, ace. Haunted him in his sleep and assumed all possible shapes. The threes bloomed before him in the forms of magnificent flowers. The sevens uh, were represented by gothic portals, and the aces became transformed into gigantic spiders. One thought alone occupied his old mind, to make a profitable use of the secret which he had purchased so dearly. He thought of applying for a furlough so as to travel abroad. He wanted to go to Paris ah, and tempt fortune in some of the public gambling houses that abounded there. Chance spared him all this trouble. There was in Moscow a society of rich gamesters, presided over by the celebrated uh, Chekolinsky, Chekolinsky, who had passed all his life at the card table and had amassed millions, accepting bills of exchange for his winnings and paying his losses in ready money. His long experience secured for him the confidence of his companions and his open house. His famous cook and his uh, agreeable and fascinating manners gained for him the respect of the public. He came to St. Petersburg. Uh, the young men of the capital flocked to his rooms, forgetting balls for cards and preferring the emotions of faro to the seductions of flirting. Naramov conducted Herman to Chekalinsky's residence. They passed through a suite of magnificent rooms filled with attentive domestics, and the place was crowded. Generals and privy councillors were playing at whist. Young men were lolling carelessly upon the velvet-covered sofas, uh, eating ices and smoking pipes. In the drawing room, at the head of the long table, around which were assembled about a mm, score of players, sat the master of the house, uh, keeping the bank. He was a man of about uh, 60 years of age and was very dignified appearance, and his head was covered with silvery white hair. His full, florid countenance expressed good nature, and his eyes twinkled with perpetual smile. Naramov introduced Herman to him. Chekolinsky 
shook him by the hand in a friendly manner, requested him not to stand on ceremony, and then went on dealing. All the game occupied some time, and on the table lay there uh, more than 30 cards. Chekalinsky paused after each throw in order to give the players some time to arrange their cards and note down their losses. Listen politely uh, to the requests, and more politely still, uh, put straight on the corners of the cards that some player's hand uh, had chance to bend. At last, the game was finished. Chekolinsky shuffled the cards and prepared to deal again. Will you allow me to uh, take a card? said Herman, stretching out his hand from behind a stout gentleman who was punting. Chekolinsky smiled and bowed silently as a sign of acquiescence. Naramov laughingly congratulated Herman on his abjuration of that extension from the cards which he had practiced for so long a period and wished a lucky beginning. Stake, said Herman, writing some figures with chalk on the back of his card. Uh, how much? asked the banker, contracting the muscles of his eyes. Excuse me, I cannot see quite clearly. Uh, 47,000 rubles, replied Herman. Oh, at these words, every head in the room turned suddenly around, and all the eyes were fixed upon Herman. He has uh, taken leave of his senses, thought Nuramov. Allow me to inform you, said Chekolinsky, with an internal smile, that you are playing very high. Uh, nobody here has ever staked more than 275 rubles at once. Ah, very well, replied Herman, but do you accept my card or not? Chekolinsky bowed in token of consent. I only wish to observe, said he, that although I have the greatest confidence in my friends, I can only play against ready money. For my own part, I am quite convinced that your word is sufficient. But for the sake of the order of the game and the, to facilitate the reckoning up, I must ask you to put money on your card. Herman drew from his pocket a banknote and handed it to Chekolinsky, who, after examining it in the cursory manner, placed it on Herman's card. He began to deal... And on the right, a nine turned up, and on the left, a three. I have won! Ha ha ha! said Herman, showing his card. A murmur of astonishment arose among the players. Chekolinsky eh, frowned, but the smile quickly returned to his face. Eh, do you wish me to settle with you? he said to Herman. Eh, if you please, replied the latter. Eh, Chekolinsky drew from his pocket a number of banknotes and paid at once. Herman took his money and left the table. Nuramov could not recover from his astonishment. Herman drank a glass of lemonade <laughs> and returned home. The next evening, he again repaired to Chekolinsky's. The host was dealing. Herman walked up to the table. Uh, the punters immediately made room for him. Chekolinsky uh, greeted him with a gracious bow. Herman waited for the next deal, took a card, and placed it upon his 47,000 rubles, together with his winnings of the previous evening. Chekolinsky began to deal. A knave turned up on the right, a seven on the left. Herman showed his seven. There was a general exclamation. Chekolinsky was evidently ill at ease, but he counted out the 94,000 rubles and handed them over to Herman, uh, who pocketed them, oh, in the coolest manner possible, and immediately left the house. How come at no point during the first gambling session, he didn't doubt that he might have just hallucinated out of guilt and that the, the cards were just made up in his own mind. But we're talking about fantasy. 
Why am I nitpicking fantasy? The next evening, Herman appeared, again at the table. Everyone was expecting him. Oh, the generals and privy counselors left their whist in order to watch such extraordinary play. The young officers uh, quitted their sofas, and even the servants crowded into the room, all pressed round Herman. The other players left off panting, impatient to see how it would end. Herman stood at the table and prepared to play alone against the pale, but was still smiling, Chekolinsky. Each opened a pack of cards. Oh, Chekolinsky shuffled. Herman took a card and covered it with a pile of banknotes. Oh, it was like a duel. Deep silence reigned around. Chekolinsky began to deal. His hands trembled. On the right, a queen turned up, and on the left, an ace. Ace is won, cried Herman, showing his card. Uh, your queen is lost, said Chekolinsky politely. Herman started. Instead of an ace, there lay before him a queen of spades. He could not believe his eyes, nor could he understand how he made such a mistake. At that moment, it seemed to him that the queen of spades smiled ironically and uh, winked her eye at him. He was stuck by a remarkable resemblance. Ah, the, the old countess, he exclaimed, seized with terror. Chekolinsky gathered up his winnings. Uh, for some time, Herman remained perfectly motionless. Then at last he left the table. There was a general commotion in the room. Splendidly punted, said the players. Chekolinsky shuffled the cards afresh, and the game went on as usual. Herman went out of his mind and is now confined in a room number 17 of the Oblahov Hospital. He never answers any questions, but constantly mutters with unusual rapidity. Uh, three, seven, ace, three, seven, queen... Lizavita, blah, 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 has married a very amiable young man, a son of the former steward of the old countess. He's uh, in the service of the state, eh, somewhere, and is in receipt of a good income. Lizavita is also supporting a poor relative. Tomsky has been promoted. This is like the end credits, or at the end of a movie where the screen goes black and they just kind of tell you where everyone's at. Tomsky has been promoted to the rank of captain and has become the husband of the Princess Pauline. And apparently that's it. What do we learn from this story? Uh, I was about to say short, but I said story, and it came out story. I think I'm tired. And apparently going blind. Um, we learned that ghosts lie. So if a ghost ever tries to get you to gamble all your money on something, uh, don't listen to the ghost, because especially if you're the cause of the ghost's death, they're not going to be like, they're not going to come back and go, ah, everything's cool. Here's my secrets. Just go marry this really pretty lady and uh, we're good. That's not how ghosts work. Ghosts are always looking for that upper hand. So if a ghost ever uh, visits you, eh, you know, take everything they say with a grain of salt. What do we learn from what I said earlier? Uh, how do I tie it in? Uh, I think I'm like the countess to my daughter. Uh, I don't know if I dress like I might have in the 90s. But as far as she's concerned, probably thinks I do. I definitely look like a middle-aged man, and I'm sure that I dress embarrassingly, just as embarrassingly so. So, uh, but yeah. Uh, an old woman wearing clothes that were fashionable 40 years ago? That's insane. That's just ridiculous. That's like people still right now wearing uh, paint-splattered 
button-up shirts with skinny ties and having, you know, hair sprayed up hair like the 80s. It'd just be too much. It'd be too weird. Well, all right. So there's that for you. I hope you enjoyed it, and uh, I will uh, see you next week.